0: Here we go. Acts chapter 8. Let's do it. We've been studying through the book of Acts. It's been great. Um, But I do want to point something out that maybe you are or are not aware of. Um, We believe firmly that God has revealed himself and chosen to reveal himself through his word. It's the means by which he intended to interact with and communicate and reveal himself to this world. So when we study, we study the word of God. We're opening up we're reading it, we study through the scriptures, is how we roll. And so uh, that is mostly really good. And you're like, mostly really good? It's always really good. Okay, it's always really good. But one of the things you may not be aware of is in our consumption of the Word of God, uh, there are some dangers or some pitfalls that you may or may not have realized are going on. And one of those is that most of the time, we get very small interactions with, very small, limited portions of the Word of God uh, in our lives. So, you know, you're scrolling through your social media. You get a verse here, a verse there. You're talking with a buddy, right? They read this in their devotional. You know, you pray for somebody. You quote a certain scripture. And, and you know, go to sermon on Sunday. And we get, like, part of a chapter. And so we're getting these little, tiny pieces. And what happens is when we get little tiny pieces, is we might misunderstand uh, how rare and how special some portions of the Word of God are, right? Like you guys have all probably heard, like Philippians four thirteen or Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You know, I can do all things through God, Christ who strengthens me. Or you know, uh, I know the plans that I have for you. You probably heard that a million times. There's only one verse in your Bible. Right, So it's been on your coffee cup since you were 17 and you're like, oh yeah, it's all over the Bible. It's actually only in one place. So when if you were reading it cover to cover and you came upon that, that would hit you in a very special way that maybe just seeing it on a Facebook post seven times a week it doesn't quite have the same impact. You get what I'm saying? And so one of the things that we're going to talk about today is this idea of repentance. And, and we hear that a lot or maybe we should hear a lot. Maybe we don't hear as much as we should. But um, within the Christian church, we've, we've probably heard that idea a lot, but that might not be an accurate representation of how it's actually given to us in the scriptures. So let's go ahead and read our story, and we'll see where this comes up and how it actually plays itself out in the Word of God. So Acts chapter 8, if you got a white or a blue Bible that we gave you, it is page 534. Uh, if you got your own Bible, you got to find your own page, like always. We're going to start in verse 9. Here we go. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. Now you're like, what is he talking about here? We've been reading through the book of Acts. What we saw was there was a persecution that started taking place against the church in Jerusalem. And so the believers in Jerusalem started to scatter. And one of the places they scattered was Samaria, which is the capital city of the country next door to Israel at the time. So when we're talking about Simon and practicing magic in this city, we're talking about the city of Samaria, which is now hearing the gospel for basically the first time um, in the history of the country. And Simon practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs of great miracles he performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit." Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And now when they had testified and spoken to the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So we begin this account... And there's this guy named Simon, right? The gospel is coming to Samaria for the first time. People are getting saved, becoming followers of Jesus, uh, getting baptized. And there's this man named Simon, who had made a name for himself practicing magic. Now, there's two things that kind of stand out uh, when, we go, when we talk about magic, right? First, first century understanding of magic and 2021 understanding of magic is wildly different, OK? So we understand that magic is based on illusion. It's a trick. There's something going on behind the scenes. There's some skill involved in the deception so that magic in 2021, when we watch somebody who's good at magic, who's good at illusion, we think to ourselves, wow, how'd they do that? And the amazement is in the skill that it takes to kind of put on the illusion and to get people to think, how did they do that? In, 20, in first century Israel and uh, Samaria, like when they saw magic, they were like, that dude's from God. That guy's got powers from supernatural ability coming from on high. So when they saw what was going on in Simon's life, they were not just go like, man, he's a really clever illusionist. They were thinking like, this guy is empowered supernaturally. Now, this is huge because in our understanding, we read this and we go, Simon is an expert in deception they would have read this and said, Simon is supernaturally empowered by whatever gods they believe existed. And not only did they think that, he proclaimed himself to be that, right? He made himself, it says, a man of God. He's made himself one who was empowered by the power of God. So not only is he an expert in deception, and not only is he living this lie, he's built a name for himself and an understanding among the people that is very much, like, completely untrue. Like, it's, it's all false. It's all hollow. It's all a lie. Like, his, probably his financial well-being, his identity within the community, his reputation, all of it's fake. All of it. The whole thing. It's just a big balloon, and as soon as somebody finds out, it would be popped. And look at what happens. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, so the people of Samaria believed Philip in the gospel about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself, verse 13, believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles he performed, he was amazed. So Philip comes to Samaria and preaches the gospel, and people begin to follow Jesus, get baptized, and Simon himself now hears the gospel, believes the good news, becomes a follower of Jesus, and is baptized to show that. Now, if you're thinking about this, Simon is living his life, seems to be in a pretty comfortable spot. Very successful at his craft, even if it is deception, right, and illusion. He's good at it, and he's really good at it. So, Philip when he comes to offer the gospel, if it were an illusion, if it were something false, if there was no authenticity, if there was no substance behind it, of all the people on the planet Earth who would be able to sniff that out, it would be Simon. Right? Simon would be like, nah, that's a fake. He's, he's tricking us. He's, he's, he's saying one thing, but he's offering another. Simon's an expert in that. And yet when Simon encounters what is going on in Philip's message he recognizes it as something completely different than the way he's been living his life. This is how the Christian life is intended to, tr- to grow. Like, like the gospel travels along relational lines. And if people who don't understand the gospel come in contact with your life and they don't recognize it as a different substance, then, then we have to reevaluate how we're living it out. Right? This is how it should go. Simon expert in deception, looks across at Philip and says, the way I'm doing it and the way he's doing it are not the same, which is significant because the world would tell you that religion is all the same. It's all kind of deception. We got everybody convinced that there's a God, you know, so we can control and manipulate people. And, you know, they're small minded Trump voters probably. And like, you know, everybody's got this thing that everybody's deceived into this unintelligent, blah, 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 right? Fill in the blank. And, and that's actually not what we see happening in the scriptures. What we see happening in the scriptures is non-believers encountering believers and going, no, no, actually what they have is different than what I'm doing. Actually, what they have is working. Actually, what they have has substance. And Simon is a great example of that because if anyone, like I said, could sniff out deception and illusion, it would have been him, right? And, and, significantly. He doesn't say like, oh, this is just a better deception than what I got going on. This is a better long con than my play. No, he gives himself to it completely. He humbles himself and no longer is he promoting followers of himself. He's promoting following of Jesus. Do you see the difference? Like he spent his whole life building his own little kingdom saying, look at me, look at me. I have the power of God. And now being baptized into the salvation of Jesus Christ, he's saying, no, no, follow him. He's no longer pointing to himself, he's pointing to Jesus. He's no longer into self-promotion, he's into Jesus' promotion. He's not making much of himself building his own kingdom, he's making much of Jesus building God's kingdom. That's a huge difference, and and a huge thing to give up if you're Simon. Jesus talked about counting the cost. Jesus talked about the idea that, hey, you're going to have to make some hard decisions. It's better in the end, but there's going to be moments along the way where you have to give something up in order to follow me completely. And this is one of those things that Simon is giving up and humbling himself. Now, what we see in the Bible is this is called repentance. okay? And I'm gonna point that word out because it's gonna be big for the rest of the story. I think it's the primary message we need to understand from this story. Repentance is this idea, you're going one way and you go completely the other way. like The idea is a complete change in direction. Not like an adjustment of direction. Like, no, no, I was going the wrong way. Like, I was headed north, and I should have been going south. Like, complete change of direction. It's, it's very rare in our culture. Very rare. Not only do people just be like, I'll figure it out, and keep going the same direction. If we do make adjustments, they're like one degree. Oh, I'll do this a little bit. Oh, I'll try this a little bit. Oh, we, I'll ease myself into it. Which is not what we see in the scriptures. When we see repentance in the scriptures, it's a complete change of direction, which is exactly what is happening in Simon's life. He's going from self-promotion to Jesus' promotion. He's going from I'm great, I'm a God, to Jesus is great, and Jesus is God. It's a complete, drastic change in his life. Now, verse 14, look at this. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So if you remember, go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus dies on the cross, resurrects from the dead. He spends 40 days with the apostles the 11 of them that are left, right? Because Judas hung himself. There's 11 apostles left. Jesus is hanging out with them for 40 days. Jesus goes back into heaven and the apostles are now there in Jerusalem for 10 more days. And then the day of Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They preach the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. Now, we fast forward a little bit, and there becomes a persecution on the followers of Jesus, and they all start to scatter. But we're told at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, the apostles, those 11, stay in Jerusalem. Okay, so when Philip goes and preaches the gospel in Samaria... They hear word that people are getting saved and following Jesus in Samaria, but the apostles, the 11, are still in Jerusalem. So they're like, all right, let's go check this out. Let's kind of authenticate it. Let's see what's going on. So they send Peter and John as like a delegation, ambassadors of sorts, to Samaria to see what's going on. When they get there, Philip's like, yeah, they believe, they've been baptized, but they haven't been given the extra power from the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John pray for them, lay hands on them, and they receive this extra power from the Holy Spirit. Now, I spent a lot of time on this. We went through Acts chapter 1, so I'm not going to spend forever on it right now. But we talked about Acts chapter 1, Jesus telling the apostles, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. And so every believer has the Holy Spirit, but there are moments that the Bible talks about when we get this extra like turbo boost button. Right When God's like, yeah, I want you empowered for being my witness in this specific instance and circumstance to make much of me. And so we talked about that a lot, like I said, in Acts chapter 1. If you want to hear that, you can go back on the website and check it out. But that's what's happening here. Peter and John lay their hands on them. The Holy Spirit, even though they have the Holy Spirit in regeneration, they are now empowered to be witnesses uh, in a special way. And Simon sees this. Look at verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered money And as someone who has spent the majority of his adult life becoming very good about self-promotion, he immediately thinks, I could use this to make much of myself again. Right? He's repented of that already. He's already said, no, no, we're going to follow Jesus. But now there's this like sneaking back in of this old temptation that he used to feel, this tug of his heart, this old trend, this old habit that he has of promoting himself and saying he has made much of, and not Jesus has made much of. And he goes... I I could use this. I could use this God thing to make myself great again. Right? You could see like the sneakiness of this temptation coming back into his heart. And we aren't told exactly why Simon wants the power. Maybe he's really misunderstood. My guess is it's not for a great reason. But what we do see is that what sets the followers of Jesus apart is not only the end result but the means by which we attain the end result. There is a time and place where Simon could go to Peter and, hey, I got like 7,000 Instagram followers. Like everybody loves me. Like I'm huge in, in Europe, right? China, off the charts, right? So if you just give me this thing, I'll pay for it, right? I could be like your most effective witness in all the world. Like I could be missionary super guy. Like the, you and me, like we could partner with this thing. I could tell everybody about Jesus. We'll blow it up, right? That's what Simon could be saying. And if Peter was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Like we could triple the church overnight. Simon's got a huge following. Everybody, That's not anything that Peter wants to entertain. Why? Because God doesn't just care about how we get where we're going. God doesn't just care about getting where we're going. He cares about how you get where you're going, right? He cares about the means and the ends. He cares not just about what you're doing, but how you're doing what you're doing, right? The process is just as important to God as the end result. Our our mission as a church, actually I'll throw it up on the screen. Um, We exist to glorify God by helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference, right? Those are the four steps of discipleship. And we've taken those um, from Mark chapter four, when Jesus was taught, he told a story about scattering seed. Remember? And he said, some of the seed landed on the, the road, some of it landed in the rocks, some of it landed in the thorns and the thistles and the weeds, and some of it landed on good soil. And so what we talked about was that Jesus obviously cares very deeply about not just bearing fruit, but how you are bearing fruit. If Jesus only cared about bearing fruit, he wouldn't need four examples in the story, right? He'd just need two. He'd be like, yeah, God threw out some seed. Some of it grew fruit, some of it didn't. Go make fruit. But Jesus gave us four examples. Why? Because he cares about not only bearing fruit, but how you get to where you're going right? And so he told us, some of it landed on the road. There was no chance. That was a hard heart, had no reception of the Word of God. Some of it landed in the rocks, so people didn't want to change their lives. So when things got hard, there was no root. There was no fellowship. There was no strength in the Word of God, so they just walked away. Some of it landed among the thorns and the thistles. So yeah, it grew, but they didn't get those things, those temptations out of their life, and so it choked out the life of them. And if I was doing like a, a like, diagnostic of Simon's life right now, this exactly is what's happening, right? He knows God, but he hasn't found freedom, and therefore his purpose is skewed, and he's not making a difference. So what's happening is he knows God. He's like, oh yeah, God is powerful. God is great. God has this, but because he hasn't found freedom from the self-promotion, he sees this as an opportunity, the church thing, as an opportunity to promote himself again. And he goes to Peter, and he's like, hey, man, like we could do, I, I'll give you some money. You can give me this power. Like it'll work out great. And Peter, what does Peter say? Peter's like, oh, he's just a young believer. Like, he'll get over it. He'll grow. He's immature. He'll get over it. We'll pray for him. Is that what Peter does? No, Peter goes off. He's like, it'd be better for you to die on the spot with your money in your hand than to think that you could pay for the gift of God. He said, I look at your heart, you are not okay with God right now. You are not on the same page. Your life is going to be destroyed unless you recognize you are a slave to self-promotion. You are in bondage. It's like you are chained to the idea of worshiping yourself. You better pray to God right now. He gets that out of your heart. Imagine if that happened at church today. You came in, you're talking with somebody, and they're like, yo, that part of your life is jacked. You need to get fixed right now. You'd be like, it's 2021. Who are you to talk to me like that? Judge me like that. Self-righteous, pompous, arrogant. What'd you do? You, you not only never talk to that person again, you'd probably leave this church And if it was really bad, you'd probably never go to any church again. I tried that Jesus thing. Judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous. But what if they were right? What if what they said was true? What if the correction they were offering was accurate, and the thing that you were allowing to live in your life was literally choking the life out of it? Then what? See, one of the weaknesses of our culture, and there's lots of strengths, right? There's some great things about living in 2021. One of the weaknesses is, if you tell me something I don't like, then I'll just go somewhere else. And we have so many people who only listen to things they want to hear. And they don't have anybody in their life who could tell them the truth. Nobody. Even they're like, friends or husbands or wives, right? Your spouse tells you something like, I'm good. You don't know what you're talking about. There was this circumstance and this, you, you don't understand because you said it like this. Blah, blah, blah. I was triggered. I'm about to soapbox right now. on triggered. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like such a, like an out. Oh, I just got triggered. Couldn't help it. I get it. There's some things that we can avoid, right? I'm not. If you're using that language, good for you. I understand what they mean. But there's a lot of people out there who are like, "Oh, I can't help it. I was triggered." Okay. What if that was true? What if what they were saying was accurate? What if it was real? Well, the Bible says that at that point we need to repent. Now, probably heard that word before. You probably heard the idea of repentance. There's a bunch of things we could talk about on repentance, but the truth is that this is a much more rare idea in the Bible than, than maybe we understood. Okay. So let me help you. Um, if you turn in your Bible, right? Mark, Luke, John. Okay. There's two sections in your Bible. All right. I'm holding up the first section. It's like, five-sixths of your Bible. This is the first section of your Bible. It's what we call the Old Testament, okay? So of the two sections of your Bible, there's a a pre-Jesus section and a post-Jesus section. The pre-Jesus section, like I said, is called the Old Testament. It's most of your Bible by a long way. It's like three-quarters, five-sixths, it's a lot, And if you're reading cover to cover through your Bible, right, you're just like, I wonder what God has to say to man. And you just start reading through the entire first section of your Bible, right? This huge chunk that we just talked about. The idea of repentance, the language translated repentance, is mentioned 13 times. 13 times in this chunk. Everybody see that? 13 times. The post-Jesus chunk which is this, that I'm holding right here, talks about the idea of repentance 56 times. 56. So this is what would be happening if you're reading through your Bible from the beginning to the end, right? You get through the first section, and you're like, I understand this idea of repentance. Like, I've, I've heard of it before. And then you start reading about Jesus, and Jesus is like, repent, repent. John the Baptist, Repent. Jesus. Repent. Repent. Then you get to the book of Acts. You know how many stories have to deal with repentance in the book of Acts so far? We're only in chapter 8. All of them. Every single story, they say the idea or the word repentance, right? Peter preaches on Pentecost. It says they're cut to the heart. They say, what shall we do in Acts chapter 2? He says, repent and be baptized right? Then the man at the gate gets healed, and they go in, and they start preaching the gospel, and they say, what are we doing? He says, repent. The times of refreshing may come. Then they get arrested, and what do they do? They start preaching the gospel again. They you guys killed the author of life. He's telling them, you need to turn around. You have been rejecting Jesus. You need to repent, right? Then they let him go. Then Ananias and Sapphira come in Acts chapter 5, and Peter, like, he's like, are you sure you sold it for that much? He doesn't use the word repent, but he's giving them the opportunity. Like, are you, I'm asking you one last time, is this how much money you sold the field for? They're like, yeah, we're good. And they refuse to change direction. And we know what happens there. We're getting in Acts chapter 6. And like over and over and over, there's this preaching of repentance. Turn around, turn around, turn around. And what happened now is we get to Acts chapter 8, and we see Simon. And at first, he's promoting himself. Then he repents and starts promoting Jesus. And now he's a believer, and Peter's calling him to repent again. So if you're reading through your Bible, you're going, oh, yeah, I've heard of repentance. Then you get to the New Testament. It's repent, 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 repent. Simon now repents how many times? Two times. Once at the beginning and once as a follower of Jesus. Excuse me. Why is that a big deal? Because I think a lot of people think that repentance is like the driver's license test of Christianity. You do it once and then you're good. Like, then you forget, like, turn your blinker on 75 feet before you make a turn. I don't know, right? Like, if your blinker's out, you're supposed to do the hand motions. Nobody knows the hand motions anymore, right? So, like, we have all these things, like, it's a driver's license test. Like, oh, yeah, I did repent. And Peter doesn't seem to think that when he's talking to Simon. Peter's like, no, you need to repent again. Like, this is... Yes, you're a believer. Yes, you've been baptized. Yes, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Yes, you got to repent again. And so what we see from this story is repentance is not just the initiation of a following of Jesus, but the sustaining of a following of Jesus. It's, It's not just the entrance into, but the continuing of our mission as followers of Jesus. We don't just repent and then we're good. We repent and then continue repenting. And if repentance stops, then that, what, what, tell, what that tells me is that we stopped listening to God somewhere along the way. Anybody perfect in here? Just on the off chance, that guy made it to church this Sunday. He didn't. Nobody's perfect. We all have things to repent of, is what that means. And we all conceptually know that, and then we live out something completely different. Isn't it weird how we all say that, right? We're like, "Hey, nobody's perfect." You're like, "Yep, nobody's perfect." And then I go, "You're wrong," and you're like, "Don't tell me where I'm wrong." I was like, "You just told me nobody's perfect." What if, what if this is the, the area? Repentance is such an important part of the Christian life that we see it in every story. And now before the the gospel, I mean, we're only like, how many pages? Like one, two, in my Bible, well, in the blue or the white one that we gave you, we're only five pages into the history of the church. And we have a story about a man who had to repent twice. And the inference is not just that, okay, you might have to repent twice. It's you have to keep repenting even after you proclaim yourself a follower of Jesus. It's a huge deal. If you go back in your Bible, in the history of the nation of Israel, there's, there's two very um, popular, I don't know, well-known kings. Right? Uh, Saul, who was the very first king of the nation of Israel, and then King David, who you've probably heard of uh, with David and Goliath and, and a couple other stories. Right? If you look at their lives, Saul was chosen by God. David was chosen by God. Saul was used by God in mighty ways. David was used by God in mighty ways. Saul messed up. David messed up. In fact, David probably messed up worse than Saul messed up. The thing that separated them was not any of what I said earlier. They were both chosen by God. They were both used by God. They both messed up real bad. The thing that separated them was when David was confronted with his sin, he repented, and Saul did not. And David's the second most talked about person in your entire Bible, next to Jesus. He was called a man after God's own heart. Not because he didn't mess up. Because when he was confronted with his screw-up, he turned around. He repented. That's what makes all the difference. Christians aren't perfect people. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah, Christians are people who, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we turn around. We recognize the truth of what God is saying about our hearts and our lives, and we go, you're right. i got to do something different. I can't keep going this direction. And not just like this, like I said earlier, like we'll, we'll ease off of it. Like, how stupid does that sound? Hey, you need to ease off of self-worship. You need to, like, you know, like, just start a plan where 30 years from now you don't worship yourself anymore. No! Stop it right now! Like, turn around! Go a different direction! The Holy Spirit is good at His job. He will convict you when you need to turn around. The question then becomes, will we listen? Will we listen and turn around? Repentance is not an add-on to Christianity. It's the primary fruit that you are a follower of Jesus. You you realize that, right? Like When when Peter preached the the sermon at Pentecost, it says they were cut to the heart, and they said, what shall we do? And Peter was like, well, you got to get a Christian bumper sticker. And then you got to go to church on Sundays. And then you should probably tithe because we want a bigger building. And then you should get involved with some sort of service in the community, right? Like help out, seek the good of the city. And then you get some Christian in education, right? There's some Bible colleges around. I know they're not accredited, but they're cheap, right? And we could go, like, he didn't say any of that. He said, repent, repent, change your direction. That was the primary fruit. That God was really in charge of your life. That you were really a follower of Jesus. It wasn't optional. It was foundational. Now, at this point, there might be some of you who are thinking ahead a little bit. And like, kind of thinking big picture. And you're like, it sounds an awful lot, Jared. Like you want me to try really hard to do better. And that's what's going to make me a better Christian. Please don't mishear me right now. I'm not telling you to go out and try really hard to do better, right? Because there's a chance you could hear a message like this, and you're going to walk out the doors and like, I've been worshiping myself. I'm going to really try not to do that. How many of you tried that before, right? You hear a message at church, and you try out and do it, and it sucks, right? It lasts for like two seconds. Repentance is not primarily an action. Okay? Or at least it doesn't start as an action. It, only f- it finishes, repentance finishes in changed actions, but it doesn't start there. It starts in, in your mind and in your heart. As the Word of God convicts you, the beginning of repentance is not going out and trying harder and doing better. The, the beginning of repentance is agreeing with the Word of God that the way you are living needs to be repented of. So this is where repentance starts. The Holy Spirit, it brings that conviction. He says, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that anymore. This needs to change. And like we saw in the scriptures here, right? Peter says, Hey, you are a bondage to self-worth. Like you are chained to yourself and making much of yourself, Simon. And what does Simon say? You're right. You're right. That's where repentance starts. As the Holy Spirit convicts your heart, the first step is saying, You're right. You're right, Lord. I I understand how far away from you I've wandered. I understand how I'm not doing what you've called me to do. I understand how this cannot be a part of my life anymore. I understand how I need to keep going. I understand the relationship is terrible for me. I understand that this this pursuit is not honoring and glorifying you. I understand that this is a waste of the freedom and life that you've given me. I understand that the word of God is true and the way I've been living is false. Now, please, God give me the grace to walk obediently. That's where repentance starts. That's where repentance starts. Jake, where you at? Come on up. I'm going to give you a moment right now. Right? We've been right, we've been doing this since we focused on prayer as a church. I'm going to, Jake's going to play some music in the background. We're going to pray. And I'm going to leave like 30 to 60 seconds of silence. And this is a time for you, right? You already made it here. You got dressed up. Your kids are upstairs. They're okay. They sound like elephants, but they're not dying, right? This is a time for you to go, all right, Lord. Is there something I've been ignoring you on? Is there a conviction that I haven't agreed with you about? Is there something in my life that needs to change? Is there some area of my life that I have walled off to you? And I'm saying like, no, 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 no. I'm I'm not agreeing with you on that. And today I'm lowering that barrier and saying, you're right, God. I need to repent. I agree with you. I'm gonna give you, like I said, a couple moments just to pray on your own. We'll do it in silence. And don't resist the Holy Spirit. Man, if he's putting his finger on an area of your life, agree with the scriptures, agree with the word of God, agree with the conviction of the spirit and pray like Simon does that going forward, he would give you the grace and the gift of repentance. Father, we come to you right now. Grateful that you don't leave us like you found us. Grateful that you give us a future and a hope of not only uh, an eternity in heaven, but with a life that grows closer to you and a life that grows in our understanding and knowledge of you. That you allow us to know you, to find freedom, to have a purpose and to make a difference in this world is a gift, Lord. And that gift comes through repentance. Father, may we be a repentant people. So now as we just spend a moment or two in silence and in personal prayer in your presence, Lord, May your spirit just convict hearts. Lead us into what is honoring and glorifying in your presence.